discovered that uh, it probably wasn't true. Now, I'm still doing some more homework because there are some people who are saying that it is, but the idea of the eagle actually losing its beak and, uh, and regrowing it seems to be a myth and something that leadership um, people have used a lot. Um, but I still, there still seems to be some questions about it. So, my apologies first up, but it was a great story, eh? <laughs> it worked really well. Uh, creative license. But I want to talk about another eagle. This one I think is true. Um, but the idea of this eagle is that this eagle can fly so high that it can pick its prey. I've heard, and you can correct me, do your research. See, you've got to do your research. I believe about two kilometers away, it can actually see its prey um, from up above. And I want to suggest today that we change positions. I want us to look at in the idea of a transformed life, it's about changing positions. Now, everyone stand up for me. Everyone stand up, right? Now, grab your valuables, your bags or whatever you've got, and I want you to go and move to a different seat, okay? Find a different seat. Now, some of you are saying, oh, thank goodness for that. I'm so glad you have to sit next to him again, okay? So, go and find a different seat. Everybody shift to a different seat. This is a little experiment. I just want to see what happens here. Okay, whoa, oh, no, that's dangerous. Oh, that's dangerous. Kevin Paris decided to sit in front of me. Now I'm in big trouble. Stone oh, look at this. We've got to change the seat completely. Woo. Oh, yeah, you take my valuables as well. Okay, now. <laughs> I love this. Can I have more sitting on the floor, please? This is the hot spot, basically, because that's, that's where the spirit's going to hit today. Right there, Kevin Parry. You're done. Now, how many people have shifted a long way? How many people swapped sides of the room? Yep, yeah? oh, you did, because you were there. Okay, how many people just shifted one or two seats? Yeah, okay. How many people thought, I don't want to shift at all? Yeah, right, okay. How many people didn't shift? Oh, be careful, because this message could be for you. What I want to do is I want to look at Romans 12 for me. Turn to Romans 12. Verse 2. Now, Romans is an interesting, uh, I love the book of Romans. And here you've got um, Paul, who's written this book called the book of Romans, which is really, this is his really highlight book, I reckon. This was the book that he really, really wanted to write. And if you read the first, up to about ch uh, first 11 chapters, it's all theology. It's all about who God is. It's all about, about Jesus. It's all about, about what's happened. It's all about, it's about theology. And then all of a sudden, at chapter 12, he turns. And now he talks about how we're supposed to live. And it's, you can see this dramatic change in the way that he writes. And so he starts off in chapter 12, and he talks about being a living sacrifice that this is your true worship. But then he goes into verse 2, and he says, verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect with God. There's two words there, conform and transform. Don't be conformed, which basically means just fit in with the status quo to, to allow the circumstances around you to develop who you are. Do not be conformed to the, and if you have a look at the words there, it's talking about the culture and the spirit of this age. Don't be conformed, but be 
transformed. That's a changing. That's a movement. That's an intentional movement. Be transformed in your mind. And I want to talk about a transformation in your mind. If you actually have a look at this in the, in the uh, New King James, it says, don't copy the behavior and customs. Sorry, this is a living translation. That was the New King James. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God, let God, let God, say it with me, let God. That's an important word there. Let God transform. Underline let God, if you've got that in your Bibles. Transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing. Let God. There's a story of a man, um, his name is uh, Viktor Frankl, who was actually in a concentration camp. Um, in the Nazi times, the Nazi war, and he was in his concentration camp, and it says that he got stripped of everything, everything, including his name, including his, his family, including his clothing, his wedding ring, everything was taken from him. He had absolutely nothing. They even tried to take his dignity. But this is what he said. His comment was, the last of human freedoms is the ability to choose one's attitude in a given set of circumstances. The guards could not take my freedom to choose my attitude. The guards cannot take my freedom to choose. I want to suggest to you today that God wants us to take a new position he wants us to see something different. You're sitting in your seats in a new position. You can see things differently, right? Yeah, you see that side, or you're in the same place, but you see that side of me now, and you see that side of me, and that might be better. Is that better over there or there? Um, some of you were reluctant to move. It's like, ah, actually, I'm quite comfortable here. I'm quite comfortable with where I'm at. That's the same in life, isn't it? I walked in here. It took me ages to find my seat. I've now got my seat. I found out the person I want to sit next to. And now you want me to shift? It's a little bit like life, isn't it? And, and when we shift, it means there has to be a movement. Some of us were probably grumpy and shifting. Some of us are probably really glad because that person I was sitting next to really smelled. And I'm so glad I don't have to sit next to him now. How many people said that? You, over here, did, yeah, yeah. You couldn't shift because, yes, okay. Um, and I want to say that God wants us to shift my, in, in Scripture, if you need, need another Scripture, go to Ephesians 4.22. It says this, and this is what it means to renew, right? We're not talking, a, a renew is actually something that is new. It's putting off one and taking up something new. Ephesians 4.22 says it this way. Throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupt, corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, listen to this, let the Spirit, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. I want to say to you that the Spirit wants to give you a new mind. He wants us to see differently. He wants us to change positions. My wonderful wife, who uh, 
who I think extremely highly of, she uh, is not only a good choice of husbands, but she is an amazing counsellor. That's her job, that's her skills, she's a trained counsellor. And not only is she a trained counsellor, but she's a spiritual lady. So you put that together with a person who is spiritually discerning and you've got someone pretty significant. And I've sat and listened to my wife, Margie, sometimes doing some counselling with people. And I've heard her use a number of different things that I've copied and, and, and uh, um, plagiarised. Um, but one of them is this. She quite often says to people who are in situations which are really chaotic, which are really confusing, which are really like, I can't get out of here, I can't get out of it. And she will say this, pretend you're in a helicopter and just lift yourself above, right above, until you can just see what's happening. And now look down and see it from a different point of view. Sometimes we've got to lift ourselves up out of the circumstance and actually see from something above. I was going to get Jaden to bring his little drone in here, but we thought it might have been a bit dangerous and our insurance is looking a bit tight at the moment with my last little episode with arrows and, and helicopters. So we thought we won't do that. But imagine coming up above with a camera and looking down. It's amazing. Mark and I, when we were up in um, up north, we were at Kakadu, and uh, we were staying at the place, and we had the opportunity of going in a helicopter. Now, we'd been walking all day, right? We were tired. We'd walked a long way, and uh, we were pretty tired. And we were sitting, I was sitting up top near the, <laughs> the cafe that sells coffee. This, I don't know why that's important. But anyway, I was sitting up there trying to work out how to get some signal, which was very rare. And this pilot comes along and says, would you like to go for a helicopter ride? And I said, you bet. I just can't afford it because it's jolly expensive. He said, well, I've got to move the helicopter. Would you like to come with us just for, you know, just a, a small amount of money? I said, you bet. So Mark and I go and we go in this helicopter. It was awesome. I loved it. No doors. It was really flimsy. And we we're up high. And we're going over where we walked. And I started to realize we didn't walk very far. See, down there, it was hard work. Up there, it's only this big. And sometimes we need to take a God view of our situation rather than a man's view. We need to fly up to his position and see the big picture and realize that that which seems like hard work is actually not that much hard work at all. And so when we look at this scripture of how do I change my mind, I could give you a whole heap of really good ways of renewing your mind. And they're all good. Things like read your Bible. If you're not reading your Bible, you need to read your Bible. That will change your mind. It will change the way you see things. Read your Bible every day. If you're not praying, you need to pray because in prayer is where you actually change your mind because God speaks to us. If you're not in a small group, that's in our conversations with other people, other Christians. There's some practical things of changing your mind and they work. But I want to look at something different today. I want to look at that maybe God, by His Spirit, renews our mind. And I wonder if it's about asking God to renew my mind. See, a perfect example of this is actually the story of Joseph. And I want us to have a look at the story of Joseph and see a man who had a different mindset to his brothers. And he didn't go to a church like this. He didn't have a Bible like you have. He didn't have a small group to go to like you have. He didn't have all those practical things. So what was it that changed his mind? What was it that set a God-overseeing helicopter mind in him that wasn't what he did but was something that the Spirit did? You see, God wants to renew your mind. The Holy Spirit wants to renew our minds. He wants to change the way we think. 
So here's the story of Joseph. You may know it, right? Story of Joseph. Here's this bloke. He's, uh, he's pretty special with his old man, right? Dad, Jacob, thinks he's pretty cool. He's his favorite son, so he gives him a favorite jacket. You've heard of his nice colored jacket. That's pretty significant because that says, I am setting you aside for something different. He was a young man that obviously had the anointing and the presence of God all over his life. He was made for a purpose. And what he does was he goes out to see his brothers. His brothers are pretty jealous of him, so they go, let's get rid of him. If we actually can get him, if we just kill him and, and maybe just get some blood off some animal and say, hey, Dad, oops, something happened. He died. This animal killed him. Here's his jacket, right? Well, his big brother didn't like that idea, so his big brother comes along and says, nah, I don't think we should do that. We could be setting ourselves up for some big trouble. How about we just put him down a well? So they chuck him down a well, right? He's in this well. He's down there for a little while, um, and they take off with his garment and tell Dad, accident happened. Oops, he's dead, um, and his dad gets really upset, but they're free now because, you see, Jacob had a dream. He had a dream. God spoke to him and said, one day your brothers are going to be bowing down to you. What? You mean to say, I'm going to have some young fella lead me? No way, I can't do that. I'm not going to have some young fella, my little brother, be the one that I'm going to bow down to. You've got to be joking. He's not the one that's going to lead our country. Not him. He's too young. He's too young. He's too small. But you see, God had a different plan. So he's now down a well. And along comes some, some guys, Pharaoh's fellas, and they pick him up and take him home. And he ends up becoming a slave or a, a servant in Pharaoh's house, right? He's there. He's having an interesting time. And everything he does, it says in Scripture, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Here's something, young people, you need to hear this. If God is on your life, if God is on your life, people will see things different. You'll see a blessing that will flow that is not something you did, it's something God did. When God is on your life, this boy, this young man, God was all over him. And people saw it. Church, people need to know that God's presence is on his church. By the way that they see things happening. And so he's, uh, he's there and you might know the next part of the story. He gets sort of promoted because he's doing such a great job. I don't know how many, I don't know, I saw this in my own life. You get promoted and promoted and promoted and you go, how did that happen? It's like God saying, I've got favor on you. There's a favor on your life that's beyond your ability and it's beyond who you are, but it's who I am on you. And there's a favor. And so he found favor. And, he, and in that favor, he grew and he grew and he grew to a place of being pretty significant in Pharaoh's house. Well, Pharaoh's wife didn't like, uh, thought he was a bit of a good looker. So decides that, hey, how about we just... You know, have a little bit of a relationship here. Well, that would really mess things up. But also, Joseph knew that this wasn't going to be right with the boss. So he said, no, nah, it's not going to happen. And also, I want to keep my relationship right with God. So he runs out the house. She grabs his cloth, and then she makes his allegations. He came in. He raped me. Look, I've still got his jacket here. See what he did. And he ends up in prison. Thirteen years, this man had been imprisoned. 13 years this man had been badly done by by his brothers. 13 years. 13 years. Do you think you're going through a tough time? 13 years. Unfair? 
Why did this happen? It's not, I'm, I've got the presence of God in my life. How come all this bad stuff's happening? I don't know whether you're going through some tough stuff right now, but just look at it this way. Joseph was going through some pretty rotten stuff. It wasn't fair. Why wasn't he home with his dad, getting all the blessings of his parents? He was out there. He was, he'd been ripped off by his brothers. He'd been bad, wrongly accused, and now he's in prison. And, of course, the story goes on. In prison, he gets favor again, and then they end up, um, he um, answers a dream of Pharaoh who realized that maybe this guy's got something. Got him. He puts him in a position where he's looking after all the food, all the supplies for the whole nation, and his brothers end up coming along, and they down on their knees before him, as the dream had said, to receive that which they needed at home. And this is what happens. And this is where I want us to learn about the mindset of a person who's actually seeing things from God's position, not from our position. See, my position would go, that ain't fair. My position would go, that, why is all this bad stuff happening with me? My position might be, what sin have I done? My position might be, it's, you know, God fix it, God fix it, God fix it, God fix it. It ain't fair, it ain't fair, it ain't fair. But Joseph's mindset was different. And I want us to learn about Joseph's mindset because there's some lessons that we can learn from this. That's got nothing to do with what I do, but everything to do with my position to where I sit. Let's have a look at Genesis 39, verse 50. And look what it says. His brothers come to him. And he's just revealed who he is. His brothers are a little bit shocked. A little bit shocked. And Joseph says this. Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended harm to harm me. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Here's some lessons I learned from this. Are you ready? If you've got your Bibles, underline some of this. The first thing here, the first thing from a God position, the first thing in a mindset that's going to be transformed is this simple thing. You're not God. You're not God. You see, Joseph comes along and he says, am I God? He understood that he was not God. I am not God. We need to learn that so much, church, isn't it? That we need to make sure that we don't think we're God. And yet the world actually encourages us to be gods. We're not God. You see, God is the one with all authority. God is the one that, that oversees. God is the one in control. God is the one that we serve. And yet how often, listen to our prayers, we're asking God to fix up our problems so God is serving us instead of us serving God. He says, I am not God. You know, Adam and Eve, right back in the garden, what was the issue? The issue was that they were made in God's likeness. And the devil came along and said, hey, don't be tricked. If you eat this, you will be like God. In fact, you won't even be a God. 
And, and if you can eat this, you'll know as much as God knows. You'll know what's right, what's wrong. You won't need him anymore. Hey, take a bite of this. And ever since that time, man has been trying to think and be like God. And one of our big issues with mindsets is this. I look at the situation as though I'm the center of attention. I'm God. Therefore, how could this be happening to me? I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to have all this. God, where did you go? You're supposed to be here with me. I'm the center of attention. I'm God. Here's the truth. You're not God. When we realize we're not God, God can do whatever God chooses to do. Quite often, Margaret and I have a conversation about the Old Testament. And sometimes it just seems so cruel. And so I don't understand it. And the reason I don't understand it is because I'm not God. But God... Why would he do this? And why would he do that terrible thing? And why would he kill those people? And why would he take those babies? And it doesn't make sense. And that's because I'm thinking like, I'm God. But I ain't God. That's a big, that's a big movement. That's a big change of seats, people, from there to there. When I realize that I ain't God. Interesting, isn't it, that the scripture actually, that in Romans it talks about the living sacrifice, right? Probably living sacrifices is that we keep getting off the altar. We keep sneaking off. As a kid, is there any kids around here? I better be careful. I've got one grandchild. Um, we actually had chickens, and we had to get rid of the chickens. And we ate them, right? But to do that, you've got to, I think we say in the nice terms, put them down. Unfortunately, and putting this chicken down was the first time I did that, and there was a bloke up the road helping us. It wasn't a good thing because this chicken didn't have the same intention as we did. So its head kept moving. Unfortunately, we won, and the chicken didn't. But here's what happened. The chicken took off, missing its top part across the road. It dropped dead in the neighbor's garden. Not a good look. A headless chook. But sometimes we're like headless chicks because God comes along and says, well, you, we said, I surrender God. I surrender. That means I make you God and I'm no longer on the throne. You can be on the throne. You be in the driver's seat, God. And yet I keep wanting to sneak back in. The first place of mindset is Lord saying, Lord, I'm going to move out of the driver's seat and you take the driver's seat. And whatever happens, God, that's all good because you're God. And if it comes out good, if it comes out bad, it's okay because you're God. First thing was he recognized that he was God. The second thing is that God's intention was good. God's intention is good. Look what he says. Next, next uh, slide. Did I not put that? This should be there. Keep going. But Joseph replied, do not be afraid of me. I am, am I God that I should punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. God intends it for good. We need to understand that when we realize that the situation I'm in right now looks bad and everybody else is trying to take me down, but God intends this for good. Why? He's working on my heart. He's working on my soul. He's working on my position. He's, he's got, he intends it for good. How many people were told off by their parents because... Did you have rules that if you didn't eat your vegetables, that you couldn't have your dessert? Anyone else have that? Oh, I thought I was the only one ripped off. 
You've got to have your vegetables. And how often did I say to my own kids, it'll be good for you to eat your vegetables. Yeah, sure. Have you tasted this broccoli? And you reckon it's going to be good for me? It's got to get past my taste buds before it can be good for me. You see, God's saying, this is good for you. I have intentions of good for you. Like the good father who gives good gifts. Would I not give you the Holy Spirit? I want good for you. My intention for you is good. When we understand that, when we sit in the position where God is God and I'm not, and when I understand that his intention for me is actually good, God, has an, God doesn't want, he's got a plan. That's all, it's all good because he's a good, good father. I don't understand it right now. Why am I putting up with this sickness? Why am I going through this tough time? Why is my business going down? Why is this relationship so hard? Why? Because God intends it for good. Joseph, 13 years of intention of good and he, just, he never saw it. He wants to go home to mum and dad. But he can't. He's got to stay over there in Egypt. God intends it for good. Even when his brothers were the one that took it away, God's intention is good. And the other thing is this. God has a plan. God has a plan. See, he said, he brought me here to this position. He has a plan. Everyone knows that scripture. It's prophesied over, over every young person, probably about once a year, until they get to about 18, 19, that, what's the, what's the prophecy in Jeremiah? I have plans for you, plans that you might prosper. It was actually to the people of Israel at the time. And God's saying, I've got a plan. And the plan is that you will prosper. Why? Because you're my people. But they weren't prospering at the time. They were going through a jolly tough time. God has a plan. And if we can sit in the seat that says he is God, I'm not. If we sit in the seat that his intentions for me are good and understand that he actually does have a plan for this. This mess that I'm looking at, he has a plan. God changed my mind. Holy Spirit changed my mind. Changed my mind. There is something about this. You know, as a church... Um, and I'm talking about the church in general in, in Australia. A few years ago, we were very focused on the significance of the spiritual. And we were very focused on spiritual warfare. We talked a lot about it. We were very focused that the things that are happening have spiritual connotations. And church, I think we've left that behind somewhere. I think we've actually moved that and we've gone into practical. Do you know, as a church... We need, the thing that we have to offer our community is not a Sunday morning service because who wants to come out for two hours and listen to a bald-headed, bearded bloke? Um, no one. If you think that, that it's about finding a little club to go to, there's plenty of them. If you think we have to offer the community just a, a fire-safe future um, and not have to go to hell and go to heaven instead, if you think that's all we've got to offer, we don't. We have to offer our community a spiritual insight because God has a plan. He has a spiritual plan for our community. And if we would only just listen to that, we would start praying spiritual prayers, not just the practical prayers. There is a spirit over our community. And God is calling you and I from a different position. That's his plan. Your fight is not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities. 
That's why we pray, not to get God moving, not to ask Him because we're God and He's not. We're actually praying because we're releasing His power and His presence. Didn't Jesus say, seek first what? The kingdom of who? God. He's got a plan. He has a plan. I love it when, when Peter was meeting with Jesus and he said, what do people say that I am? And some say you're a carpenter's son. Some say that you're a good teacher. Some say that you're a rabbi. He said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ. There's lots of Christ around at that time. But here's the significant thing, the son of the living God. And what did Jesus say? Here's my plan. You ready for it? Here's my plan. That's what I'm going to build my church on. That's what I'm going to build my church on. That God is God. And that Jesus is the son of God, not the son of Joseph. He wasn't Bar Joseph. He was Bar God, the son of God. That's who he was. And that's what I'm going to build my church on. Seek first the kingdom of God. He's got a plan. And I will do all this stuff for you. I've got the plan. Would we trust that God's got the plan? That's why that prophetic word from Sarah was so important. And this is it. You ready for it? Here's the crunch time. Ooh, okay, crunch time. Here we go. And many are saved. Many are saved. Read that. Save the lives of many people. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Church, we need to understand that God is transforming our mind. He is changing our heart. He is changing who we are. Why? So that you can be happy? No, that many would be saved. His heart is that no one should not be saved. He wants everyone saved. He will go out and find the one person that's missing. That's how important it is to him. So when I look at it from my seat and go, stop looking at it from down here, but come to a God's perspective. I'm not God. Let it go. Let it go. Because you're not God. I'm not God. He is God. His intention over everything right now. We think that we can solve this problem. But God says, ah, I've got the intention. Don't you worry. It's all part of my plan. You're my children. I've got this sorted. I know the intention is good. And then he says, would you trust God with the plan? Stop trying to make it happen. Stop trying to change it around. Stop trying to manipulate. Let God be God and let God direct you. And here's the promise. Many are going to be saved. Many are going to be saved when we have a new heart and a new mind. Can you just close your eyes for one moment? Holy Spirit, I just want to ask right now that you might move on us powerfully. I ask God, as you have been working so deeply in my heart just recently, and I know in many hearts here, as you take us as a body called your church, and you're softening us, and you're changing us, and some of it's uncomfortable, but gee, you're doing a good job. And God, right now, would you, by your Spirit, as we take off the old and we put on the new, as we take off the, the cloak of authority and put on your cloak, your cloak of sonship, of childship, of daughtership, as we take off the cloak that man's given us and put on the garments you've given us. I want to say, Father God, you are our God. And we want to step off the throne.
look at you as God. That God, you have, and I want to speak it out over here right now, you have good intentions. The devil will lie to us. The devil will tell us that you're not in control. The devil will tell us that, that all this bad stuff's going to happen. The devil will tell us that there are lies. The devil will give us these lies of untruths and tell us that things aren't good. And yet you say, God, that you have good intention for your children. And we will claim that and we will speak that over our circumstance. We will speak that out over our lives. And that God, you have a plan. And I want to step into your plan. And it looks different. You choose strange people to do your plan. You choose people who weren't gifted. You use people who, who were bad. You use people who were prostitutes. You use people who were lepers. You use people who went around killing Christians. You use the people we least expect because you have a plan. And you might use me. And that God, in all of this, God, would you save many? God, would you save many lives? There's a drought in our community for the things of the Spirit. There's a drought in our community, in our schools, for the things of the Spirit. There's a drought. And God, in your warehouse called the church, you have given us everything we need that many might be saved. I'm going to do something right now before we come into communion. Because we're going to take up communion in a moment. I'm going to ask you. Again, I want a response here. And afterwards, if you want prayer, please come forward for prayer. If you want to say, I want to get back on, put God back on my throne on my life, come up the front. We've got some prayers that will come and pray with you. But please make sure you do that because I know that I've taken God off my throne just about every day. And I need to keep putting Him back on there. But I'm going to ask you right now, if you want to say, Holy Spirit, renew my mind. Holy Spirit, put me in a different position. Holy Spirit, help me see from your eyes. Holy Spirit, would you move on me now? Put up your hands because I want to pray for you. Just slip up your hands. I'm going to pray right now. Thank you. Holy Spirit, I'm going to pray right now. Holy Spirit, that you would come and by your Spirit, you would renew our minds, that you would renew our thinking, that we would see things from a spiritual, that we would break these strong words that, that have been spoken over us, that we aren't spiritual because you have made us spiritual. We're a spiritual being. And I'm going to pray right now, releasing of your Holy Spirit on those in this place, that we would be able to see that we would be able to move our position and say, you are God. You're in control. You've got a plan. You've only got good intentions. And many are going to be saved through this. Amen. We're going to come into a time of communion. But as we do, I just want to share a little story with you. Tomorrow is the anniversary of the death of our little boy, Jesse who died in my arms uh, back in 1994. And uh, that still breaks my heart, my heaps. But I remember in that time, I was pretty angry. It was a pretty dark time. And I struggled to see God in all of this. But I still loved Him. And we still worshipped Him. But I struggled to see it. It was on a few days later when we had the funeral in this building here, sitting on those brown seats down the front here. And we sang... A song at this funeral. The place was absolutely jammed, packed. 
lot of unchurched people because that was our, our position. We had a lot of friends and connections. And we sang a song that said, the power of your love. It kills me every time I sing it. And in that song, it says, hold me close, never let me go. I will rise up on wings of eagles. We sang that song and we sang it in truth and we sang it in tears. And it was a lady by the name of Anita who I was working with on some projects in our community with some street kids. She wasn't a believer. She was a Catholic girl, she kept telling me, um, but she wasn't really a believer. And she met me about a month later. We had a coffee together. And she said, I'm confused. I said, why are you confused? She said, you lost your son. Your church was mourning and yet you worshipped God. And you sang that song that moved me so much. I don't, I, I, I just wish that I had a faith like yours. And I said, no, you don't want a faith like mine. You need a faith like God can give you. And she said, how do you do it? And I said, all it is, is simple. Just let Jesus take you to a place where you look from His size, not from your eyes. Now, I was struggling still myself, and I told her that, and it wasn't easy. But I do remember that, and it said to me something powerful. It said, that horrible time we went through, God can use it to save many. And He did. I saw lots of kids come to Jesus whenever I told that story when God put it on my heart to do that because it saved many. Would I lose my son again? It was horrible. I would never recommend it. And I want him back. But something happens when we allow God in our darkest of times to actually help us change seats and sit where he sits. And no, I don't understand it, but you're God. If we come to communion right now, I'm going to invite you to come and take communion. And in your communion, will you say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you forgive me of my heart that's shifted? Would you forgive me for getting off the altar again? Would you forgive me for the things that I've said, for the attitudes that I've had? Please do it. Because if you do, Jesus said, I will forgive you of those sins. I will wash you clean and we'll be right again. And we can move on. And would you also say, God, would you use my life for your purposes and not for mine? And he will, and many will be saved. Come, take communion, spend some time, and uh, then we'll finish up the service.